How we handle moments of crisis and experience moments of joy can be amplified by how we are connected to art. Welcome to the podcast that's designed to help you find the art that stands next to you in the moments you need it most. I'm your host, MB, and this is The Story Art Tells. Welcome back to The Story Art Tells. This week, I'm joined by a spoken word artist I first heard perform at my alma mater in 2014. We talk about where his inspiration comes from, how poetry and performance can change mental health, publishing during a pandemic, and his new project, The Criterion Collective. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'll let him introduce himself. My name's David A. Romero. I'm a Mexican-American Chicano spoken word artist based out of Southern California. And I've performed at 75 colleges and universities in 30 different states in the U.S. So my art as a spoken word artist is poetry, using words, creating images, <laughs> stories, impressions with my words and my movements. And um, so, yeah, I'm a nationally touring poet. I'm very fortunate enough to do that. <clears throat> well, actually, before the pandemic, but we'll get a little <laughs> more into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm fortunate enough to tour the country performing at colleges and universities and the occasional other venue. I actually started off my whole career in poetry, performing mm. more in poetry venues to kind of hone my skills and get a sense of who I was as a poet, as an artist, and develop this ability to memorize my poems and perform them in front of an audience and mm. engage with the audience. That's mm. a big, big part of spoken word is that a lot of times when people see it for the first time, they have this misconception mm-hmm. that I'm just making up things on the spot, which, yeah. no, they actually are these memorized pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So they're written down or written in my head and just rehearsed over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so then the process becomes the memorization, re- you know, repeating them. And then the next step is tooling them in such a way that they're highly performable Mm -hmm. so that any excess words it becomes like a process of 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 editing in and of itself Mm -hmm. through that is that certain words will be taken out or clunky phrases that were added in there or words will be replaced because the the syllables fit better or they Mm -hmm. just express what I'm trying to say in the moment Uh, more Mm. accurately. So as a spoken word artist, my, I'm definitely influenced by a lot of the poetry that was coming out of the early 2000s. So Saul Williams was a huge influence on me. Now you could read my work and not see that because our styles are so different in a lot of different ways. But I was inspired by him, people like his LA, not LA, his New York New Eurekan, that was mm. the poetry venue, <laughs> New Eurekan, mm-hmm. his New Eurekan slam team partner, Bo Sia, who mm-hmm. had this completely different style, is very much more plain spoken with Saul Williams. It was the metaphors and breaking down words, the wordplay involved. And I have a little bit of that in my style. But Bo Sia was much more direct. He used, would utilize humor a mm-hmm. lot in his work. And that's been a big, big staple of my work throughout the years, has been utilizing the humor aspect to it. My work has always had like a, uh, 
a, a strong hip hop influence. My interest in spoken word actually came out of, interestingly enough, an interest in rap and underground mm. rap. So I was listening to people like Most Death and Talib Kweli and and even uh, Cannabis, who was a battle rapper who uh, mm. lost respect over the years. But he was someone who was writing about philosophy and history mm. and things of that nature, really esoteric subjects. And he was really someone who had opened my mind to the genre mm-hmm. at first. I had no idea that you know, rappers could talk about so many different topics. I thought it was more limited in scope. So that was really eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And what I was seeing with my interest in underground hip hop was that there were a number of artists like Saul Williams, who was kind of like, he, he had more of like a rock feel, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of mixed genre. But Saul Williams was someone who came from poetry and then mm-hmm. went to making music. Sage Francis was another artist who had started off as a slam poet and then mm-hmm. went into rapping even though he had said that rapping was his first love. So I was in a position where I was in my coming out of college or or still in college, I was in the situation where I was writing these raps or I was making them up. I would would challenge people to freestyle battles at parties. You know, I just kind of, you know, I had this real desire to perform. That, mm-hmm. that I had discovered. I had always been interested in drama, but I had never wanted to commit to being a drama kid because I had all of these ideas in my head of what that would be. And, and I just didn't you know, want to commit myself to that at that point. But I found this great amount of release. You were talking about mental health or, or you asked me about mental health uh, prior mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that it actually is something you know, kind of key to bring up with art and performing is that my background, once again, in being Mexican-American and Mm -hmm. particularly coming from a household, kind of a suburban household, uh, I was raised Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. and Mexican Roman Catholics, we don't have therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Therapy, you know, we're supposed to see a priest, right? Right. and talk to the priest like the priest is our therapist Mm -hmm. and um, you know if if we can confess our sins to God then you know everything is and and pray you know then Mm -hmm. everything is hunky-dory right yeah yeah chemical imbalances or underlying Mm -hmm. issues or you know intergenerational trauma or you know whatever it might be you know and while there were situations you know to play uh, you know, devil's advocate, there, there were situations where it was relief. I think in mm-hmm. large part, uh, something I've discovered over the years is that talking to people in general can be just therapy. You don't yeah. need to see necessarily a mm-hmm. licensed therapist. But what I found is that I did have these bottled up feelings over mm-hmm. the years, these ideas that I hadn't been able to express largely around my identity as a Chicano growing up in suburbia Mm -hmm. and not really knowing who I was and Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know telling me that because I looked white I was white and Mm -hmm. these were white people and also Latinx people telling Mm -hmm. me this and they still tell me this and so my art has become a way for me to defend to assert Mm -hmm. you know my identity and say this is who I am. This is, this is my identity. And 
I feel like that has brought me a great deal of comfort over yeah. the years. And also, I mean, everyone, every writer, every young poet spends a good amount of time writing angsty teenage poems yeah. or middle school poems, you know, <laughs> and that was definitely something that I went through as well. And I think there was kind of like this point where I stopped doing that and I wasn't writing anything else. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the the hip hop influence was so big, was so important. Mm. Yeah. Because even though I wanted to be a screenwriter, I wasn't actually cranking out a lot of work. So I wasn't having that catharsis, catharsis through writing yeah. you know, that I had had before in being, you know, even in high school, I wrote a poem about, you know, walking through the hallways and no, oh, no one sees me and the mm-hmm. sadness and oh, you know, but I published it in a literary journal, right? Yeah. And I think that's something like as a writer, that's a gift that we have is that we can articulate our sadness. Mm-hmm. We can make it something beautiful mm-hmm. and, and share it. And if we're lucky enough, people will see it and then that will create an avenue for us to talk to people about Mm -hmm. it. People could ask us about it or even just having that amount of pride and being able to say, look, I got something published, check it out. Yeah, I I would say that's that's largely (laughs) what, what my art is about. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to, you know, I would touch upon a few stylistic tendencies that mm-hmm. I have. So the hip hop influence leads to the amount of rhymes that are in mm-hmm. my work. My, mm-hmm. I, I'm really big on that. Actually, mm-hmm. if you follow from the 2000s to now, very, very few spoken word artists rhyme consistently. Yeah. It's seen as corny, as outdated, as, you know, whatever, as, as not being, you know, part of the art form. Mm-hmm. I think it's indispensable. Mm-hmm. because to a certain extent, I feel like the genre defying the rule breaking and, and what have you of spoken word is so abundant mm-hmm. that I, I feel like it's almost that you could talk about anything, that mm-hmm. you could talk about it in any kind of way. I feel like it's almost necessary to make sure that there are some poetic and literary devices in the work, just so that people know going into it that this is a poem. Personally, that's the way that I feel a lot of other people have different takes on it. And yeah. also for me, it's, it's always an homage, right, mm-hmm. to that love that started it in the first place. Also, the interest in theater, mm-hmm. and you know, in old forms, there will be poems where I'll take on certain characters or certain tone that'll be reminiscent. Yeah of Shakespeare or 18th century works or, you know, what have you. I have mm-hmm. a whole poem in my latest book that's dedicated to the last reigning monarch of Hawaii, mm-hmm. Queen Liliuokalani. And that whole letter is written in a style of the peoples of the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to capture that, that note. Um, not really a spoken word poem. It really... Yeah. I performed it once. It didn't perform well. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, spoken word audience, audiences are often, you know, they're often clued in to certain mm. kinds of things. And mm-hmm. it's, 
you know, it's, it's more for people of a very particular interest, you know, mm-hmm. I would say. So that kind of tone or that performance style would show itself in a number of my poems. And then there's the humor. Once I realized that spoken word could be funny, that's when I started incorporating more humor into yeah. my work. So I was drawing upon stand-up comedians that I had admired, people like Mitch Hedberg, is my mm. favorite stand-up comedian. I just love his delivery and mm-hmm. simple jokes. And I love that he could turn something so simple into something so funny. And people like, you know, Richard Pryor, you know, mm-hmm. classic comedian, mm-hmm. um, his gift for creating scenarios. Also, speaking of Latino artists mm-hmm. having a special impact, there was this comedian, Pablo Francisco, mm-hmm. not very well known. Mm-hmm. But he has this routine that I know almost every word of. (laughs) I've said it so many times. That's awesome. And it's the movie previews guy. Mm. And it's just so great. He Mm. makes fun of Keanu Reeves and uh, (laughs) and Arnold Schwarzenegger and his whole like little tortilla boy, you know, coming (laughs) next summer, you know. And um, so I just love that. That's always yeah. been something that I've carried on. And there are a lot of poems that I have, like Cheese Enchiladas and My Name is Romero, and they all start in movie guy voice. Mm. <laughs> you That's know? cool. Yeah. It came to me. <laughs> it happens, you know? Yeah. So yeah. they have that. They start off with that. And that's kind of an homage to Pablo Francisco there and to Job from Arrested mm. Development. I always <laughs> loved him. He would like, you know, yeah. really mad about something. <laughs> yeah. He has this really deep voice. So that's where a lot of that comes from. And George Lopez. Oh, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people forget this, but George Lopez, because he did the ABC show, because yeah. he yeah. became so big and so mm-hmm. mainstream, but George Lopez really was this huge figure for mm. Chicanos. Yeah. Mexican-Americans because he came in and he was so mm-hmm. funny and so insightful. Mm-hmm. And what I really love and still thinking about his work is how, unlike a few other Latino comedians that I mm-hmm. could possibly name, he wasn't <laughs> trading in on lazy stereotypes. Mm. His work, it would portray the good and bad of mm. our people. Yeah. And I really, really always appreciated that about his work. And I, and I still do. And he wasn't afraid to be political at times. Yeah. And he still yeah. is known for. That's good. <laughs> it's always nice when you find artists who are like, listen, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Right, right. About, you know, how that's going to impact my art. Here's the deal. This is not okay behavior, whatever they say. Yes. Well, that's awesome. I didn't know all of that about you. I So I have seen you perform at Washington State University, Vancouver. several years ago which was incredible but I didn't know all of that about where your inspiration came from so I really appreciate you sharing that with me I think the interesting thing about the work that you do is that not only are you a writer but you're a performer and so that really changes how you write what you're writing because writers who don't have to perform it can do things a certain way but when you have to think about how people are going to respond to it and how it's going to come out when you speak it out loud I'm sure that changes the way that you create something Absolutely. That's that's a great question. I think about this a lot. With spoken word as a genre, one of the things that makes it so compelling is that it is this audience-based mm. art form. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing it, and once again, stylistic tendencies have changed a mm-hmm. little bit, but you 
definitely will have deliberate pauses. So even when you write, you would think about, okay, how am I going to pause this? Or, you know, what, what pauses might I put in there? Mm -hmm. You know, in the same way that you would tell a joke, you would have pacing. So mm -hmm. the pacing is a big, big part of it. There's also kind of a typical rising action and mm -hmm. a fall. So, mm -hmm. so even if it's not a story, the poem still very often would have an arc to it. Mm -hmm. So you got to think of pacing, of arcs. So something that was huge in the early 2000s was call and response. Mm -hmm. And poems still occasionally will have that. So yeah. call and response, you know, that's something that you're yeah. not going to have that in a poem on paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just going to look really weird, you know, yeah. unless, unless people know that you're a spoken word artist, mm -hmm. then they will understand. And then I'd say where things start to get a little more complicated mm -hmm. is that the constraints of the genre might be that because you're writing for an audience, mm -hmm. you might feel more inclined to say things that you think the audience will agree with. Mm -hmm. So you might engage in forms of self-censorship mm -hmm. or, or trying to figure out what will please an audience, right? Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily yourself, although a lot of times your truth, you know, of course, that, that's great too, right? The spoken mm -hmm. word yeah. is that your truth, your voice said most powerfully, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is, you know, what I'm about. This is what I stand for, right? Mm -hmm, Saying mm -hmm. that loudly will please the audience, will be yeah. the thing that really moves them. But sometimes it won't be, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and keeping that in mind. And two, for example, I had mentioned a poem that I said did not perform well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's a limitation too. If you're mm -hmm. only writing for an audience or mm -hmm. only writing audience-based poems, it's going to limit your craft. You're yeah. not going to try more experimental forms. You are going to stay within these mostly thesis-based mm -hmm. poems because that's mm -hmm. what a lot of spoken word poems are. They very often have the structure of an opening quote often by the opposition, right? Mm -hmm. So you yeah. set up an argument, you, pre you present, prepare your thesis statement, yeah. a body of evidence, and that's very often more personal testimony than facts, but you yeah. might mix up personal testimony and facts, and then you conclude. And mm -hmm. hopefully it's with a, you know, with a dope line, with a banger yeah. line that <laughs> yeah. gets everyone to, oh, you know. Yeah to be all excited about it right yeah so, yeah so so that's what a spoken word poem is most of the time right mm -hmm, a spoken word mm -hmm. poem is not things like a piece with violin strings Ooh, what's happening you yeah, know it's yeah. not like a short film about the wind or something that on paper is mm -hmm. incredible right mm -hmm. and those are yeah. actually some of my favorite poems to read i yeah. i actually very often will enjoy reading traditional poetry uh -huh. you know about nature and stuff yeah <laughs> more than spoken word poetry a lot of yeah. times I mean that's the irony of it there's sure. a lot of times when I read spoken word poetry or even just hear it you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. annoyed. that's kind of like when you're writing for an audience yeah the format the the content you mm -hmm. know unfortunately these these are the things 
but on the flip side to go back to the positive of it mm -hmm. you know you we were we were uh mentioning mental health right yeah is that if you put yourself in a headspace of writing poems that are are meant to be cathartic right because mm -hmm. yeah. on paper you write if you write a sad poem and you know a poem about yourself in a in, in a mood you know there's not necessarily going to be an uptick mm -hmm. you know there's not necessarily right. going to be this triumphant arc at mm -hmm. the end you could you know i'm even now that i'm done i'm even more lost than i was <laughs> right you know there's no release but if mm -hmm. you're going to write a spoken word poem about that you're almost training your brain to think, yeah. okay, I'm in this situation, but you know, other people have been here before. My parents were here before or something, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like I was yeah. here when I survived, you know, and you're going to create this story. Mm -hmm. I will survive. Hey, hey, you're going to create this story that will have this, this positive momentum or you're going to displace that anger, those feelings onto someone else. And that yeah. Release. Yeah. So let's say, let's say you're me, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you have no audience and you're not talking to many people and you have these ideas and even your best friends don't necessarily relate and your parents certainly don't relate. They don't mm -hmm. understand, right? They don't understand why you can't just be happy. You know, we did everything for you. It's a great house, great city, whatnot, great schools. Mm -hmm. you know, why, aren't you, why aren't you just happy, right? Mm -hmm. You're writing and you're stewing in loneliness and then discovering an art form where you discover that you can bring joy to people, mm -hmm. right? That can change you. It can yeah. fundamentally change you yeah. from being this person who kind of dwells from having this voice in your head saying, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm so lonely. This is the kind of person that I am. A lonely, <laughs> sad, you know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Into having this new story about yourself as I'm an entertainer. I entertain people. I tell these stories. I give my opinions on things and, and people care about what I have to say. They move people. They inspire yeah. people. So all of a sudden now your art the journey of your art has has transformed you fundamentally mm -hmm. and a lot not to say all right of course right. because you still will need those other avenues and you know sometimes performing in front of audiences really can be just a band-aid on mental yeah, health sure. it really can be just like eating ice cream yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's something that makes you feel better in the moment right mm -hmm. But I think more importantly is if you allow it to actually have this, this fundamental impact on yourself, then with this new identity and this love for something, this passion can really help you get out of a lot of those dark places. Yeah, I think that a lot of people forget that there's this ability for art, whether it's spoken word or written, to do that for people. But I really love the idea that spoken word can do that in such a different way and really take folks to a different place. That's really cool. What I mean, you're a performer. I mean, I know you're a writer also, but performing is really what you do. So right now you can't leave your house. <laughs> so has, how has that kind of changed things for you? Being a performer in the time of quarantine, wow. Yeah. I guess I was somewhat fortunate in this, in the fact that I am a touring poet, but my number of performances had been going down. 
And mm. I can contribute this to a number of factors. As a spoken word artist, you definitely have to be out there constantly mm-hmm. reminding people of who you are, constantly promoting yourself, creating new work. And I had largely priced myself out. Mm. <laughs> I got a big head and I started <laughs> thinking like, you know what? $1,000 plus travel and lodging. Mm. I'm worth it, right? Yeah, yeah. I am worth it. But yeah. it's getting other people to see that, right? Sure. When I was charging $300 plus Mm -hmm. travel and lodging, I was killing it in terms of bookings. I was traveling all across the country. Mm -hmm. Then I moved up to $500, $750, and then I made the big leap to $1,000. So yeah, to a certain extent, I was already kind of changing. And Mm -hmm. about a little less than two years ago, I started a day job to Mm. supplement my income. I wanted something that I could work and just have a steady paycheck, pay off Mm -hmm. my student loans, Mm. which I did. Good, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. But also have the freedom, right? Something that I didn't care about so much that I couldn't take some days off Mm -hmm. here and there to go touring. And I found it. But yeah, even the few times I have been performing lately, it just, Mm -hmm. it just makes a world of difference. It just, I love it so much. I Mm -hmm. love performing so much that I'm making people laugh and Mm -hmm. applause and and then making people cry or be on the verge of tears if if I'm performing a sad poem. It's just so powerful making people feel passionate about an issue that I'm bringing up, a political issue. Yeah. Tapping into that with a lot of people out there, those of us who are creatives, who have these nine to five soul crushing jobs Mm -hmm. and our art gives us this hope. It's that end of the tunnel. And he's like, well, I can only do my art, you know, this will help me be able to do my art. So the unfortunate thing is seeing that go. And Mm -hmm. when this was first kicking off, I had got invited to do some Zoom things. Mm -hmm. And it was just so foreign to me, the concept Mm -hmm. of doing a workshop or a performance online that those first gigs that I turned down, which Mm -hmm. I really kind of regret it now, (laughs) um, financially and just in having had something to do. Yeah. But I think a lot of people have gone through that, right? That Mm -hmm. initial sense of confusion and fear and like what's what's happening what's Mm -hmm. going to happen and I don't know what to do everything has changed the world has changed but I would definitely say that something that has in a way that I've been very fortunate is Mm -hmm. that I had already finished a book of my work there are a lot of times where I put off certain things because I'm so geared towards performing My mind for the last few years has become wired towards make money, make money, make money, (laughs) travel, travel, travel. That's what you do. That's what makes you happy. So what has been really great uh, for me about this period of quarantine is that it has been a chance to promote my book in Mm -hmm. ways that I I had never or done only on a smaller scale just actually take all of this knowledge that I've acquired through performing mm-hmm. and use it to promote my book in that way. So, yeah. so what I've been doing is reaching out, what I'm in the process of doing mm-hmm. is reaching out to literary magazines mm-hmm. in all 50 states. And then I'm going to contact schools in Canada, England, yeah. 
France, Mexico, probably Australia, and mm -hmm. a few others, right? And I've already contacted a lot of these schools for bookings, but mm -hmm. I think that's a harder sell. It's, yeah. it's flying someone out. It's very expensive. But contacting literary magazines, asking them if they will do reviews for my book oh, or yeah. if they'll publish reviews that I've gotten written mm -hmm. about my book. And that's something I've been working on too, is putting out calls and, and working with people to nice. get them to write reviews for the book. That's cool. Are people responsive to that? Yes. And one thing that I've learned is that men are lazy and women are awesome. Um, <laughs> I've put out these paid calls and my friend is so funny. My friend is like the greatest person mm -hmm. at getting free labor from mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And so he always finds a way to like contact people. And he's like, he so strongly disapproves of the fact that I've been posting these paid calls for mm -hmm. reviews. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, I'm asking them to do 500 to a thousand words. That's not easy. It's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. You have to read the whole manuscript and go over it multiple times. Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of pages, a lot of paragraphs. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I put out these paid calls, and so far it has been women journalists, women poets, women writers of various backgrounds, which has mm -hmm. been really great. Someone in California, someone in Chicago, Illinois, wow. someone yeah. in New Mexico. So it's been really great so far, and yeah. I've gotten various bits of feedback. I was also reaching out for blurbs for mm -hmm. my book, and I got a quote from Gustavo Ariano, who oh. is a writer for the Los Angeles Times, and mm -hmm. he wrote the column Ask a Mexican, which was oh. a nationally syndicated column. Yeah. So he's big. So he's yeah, actually, cool. speaking of people who inspired me to do this in the first place, he's yeah. definitely one of them. Like awesome. a historian, a cultural critic who uses humor to mm -hmm. elucidate truths of identity. So I'm really excited about that one. One of my professors who's gone on to write amazing books, uh, Curtis Marez, he's written a book called Farm Worker Futurism, which sheds light on the fact that even as we enter this age of increased automation and, mm -hmm. and technological development, mm -hmm. that there's always still someone operating this apparatus, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in the Apple age, we still have farm workers. You yeah. know, even in the age of quarantine, we still have farm workers. Yeah. So yeah. it's talking about that there is always this class divide mm -hmm. in labor mm -hmm. and that it's Latinx people, immigrants very often that are still occupying this, this tier, you know, yeah. mostly throughout the country yeah. Yeah. of these underpaid jobs. So that's two of them and so many others. Yeah. A lot of them I, I'm tempted to bring up. Um, <laughs> one of them is currently starring in a TV show that's on right now. That's that pretty I, cool. Uh, someone in a band that I really love. So that is so cool. So is your book out now or does it come out soon? It comes out soon. And that's something that I thought about too. So my book is being published by Flower Songs Books. They are a small press based out of, uh, I believe it's McAllen, Texas. So I think that's somewhere in South Texas. I was going to mm -hmm. say East or West, but I have no idea. Actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> They're a collective of mostly Latinx writers based there. 
A lot of them are professors at colleges, teachers at high schools, and various positions there. Mm -hmm. Various poet laureates of different cities in Texas. So they're very Texas-based publisher, which will really help with distribution in that area. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I was really looking and hoping for. I will not lie to you. I submitted this book to larger presses as well to to start off because... I really feel like this book, it holds up under, I I, I feel that it holds up under literary scrutiny. So I was sending it to all of these presses and unfortunately the rejection letters started coming through. So then being in this position of, okay, I have this amazing press, you know, Mm -hmm. backing me and believing in my work and and they're they're hot right now. Yeah. (laughs) My best friend in poetry, Matt Studio, just got published by them, and he's mm. already been selling thousands of copies. Another pressmate just became the poet laureate of San Antonio. Another pressmate, Grace Munoz, the forward for her book, got written by Luis Alberto Urrea, and uh, uh, Urrea is a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, yeah. So, I just finished his book, House of Broken Angels. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, love him. Yeah. He's so great. Yeah, he is. He really is my favorite living writer. Yeah, yeah. I think Kurt Vonnegut mm, is my sure. favorite writer. <laughs> sure. Um, and they're very different, but they're very yeah. similar in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. In a way. So Urea is my favorite living writer. And I, yeah, I just think that that's really amazing. He actually, yeah. my friend did an interview with Urea yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned our press, you know, he talked yeah, about how he cool. supported our press, how he had shared, you know, we did a fundraiser to raise funds to publish books for this mm-hmm. year. And he contributed to that and he mm-hmm. posted it multiple times on his mm-hmm. social media. So yeah. just to show you how down you know, because yeah. he could have just been like, <sighs> you scrubs, you know, right. <laughs> I'm Mr. Yeah. You know, Pulitzer, you know, big, yeah. big publishing house. Right. But yeah, no, he was, he was a hundred percent, you know, behind us. So, so I think that's, that's, that's really incredible. So in a long ways to circle <laughs> back to the initial question, like, yeah. So in thinking about this and thinking about working with flower song book, I wanted to treat the book release and they're doing it, they will be doing certain things to promote it, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm so excited. But to try to figure out what would a big publishing house do in order to promote a book? They're yeah. going to create marketing materials and they're going to solicit for advanced reviews. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. to start promoting the book months in advance. You have yeah. to create a fever pitch over yeah. it. So that's like interviews that's getting the poems published as little tasters out there Mm -hmm. all of these advanced reviews and multiple sources so by the time that the book comes out that hopefully there is a number of people Mm -hmm. hundreds thousands whatever that are already familiar with it and hopefully are excited to read it so the book is going to be published either late this summer or early this fall or never (laughs) 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 because 
I mean, to tell you the truth, I really do not want to publish the book during the pandemic. I really admire all of those artists who are as brave to release and as resilient to release art in this time. Totally. Uh, But I really feel, you know, personally, like that would really affect the sales Mm. and also especially on my end, I wouldn't feel as inclined to promote it because I would feel like people's means are really being taxed right now and not being able to work or mm-hmm. having, to re- having reduced hours and mm-hmm. care for family members and different expenses that are coming up. So I really would feel bad or weird in asking yeah. people to buy my book. <laughs> right. Sure, yeah. You know, people, I mean, including myself, we go on Amazon and we just like, we're so bored, yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I've had way oh, too many yeah, books. I totally <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to promote something that you're doing in general, especially when there's a crisis happening and then the performance that you do impacts your work so much. And so, right. you know, being able to, I mean, it would be a book, it's a book, obviously, but even being able to go and perform a part of it or perform something else would be a, a huge part of what you're doing to promote that book. So I could see how that would be difficult. Yeah, I think that that would be huge. That's most likely how I would generate the most amount of sales is in-person mm-hmm. sales uh, mm-hmm. after a performance or preceding a performance or mm-hmm. in connection with a performance. So contact yeah. the professor and saying, hey, I'm coming you pre-order a certain number of books that would really help things of that nature so it just yeah it doesn't make sense on so many levels so you're asking about art in this time of quarantine Mm -hmm. so that doesn't necessarily have to be my art Mm -hmm. Um, although I did love to spend a lot of time talking about that (laughs) but (laughs) what I do I do want to talk about how other art has helped me through this period I was really starting to get more into music but Mm. something that i've been getting back into a lot lately is movies particularly foreign films and Mm -hmm. art so i actually went to the university of southern california i'm a major Mm -hmm. in the critical studies of film so i learned film history and film criticism and I was fortunate enough there to watch a lot of these art films or these yeah. very important works of the 50s and 60s and, you know, really all, all different decades. But those yeah. were really the ones that captured my heart <laughs> and <laughs> mind were those modernist works. I figured, okay, I have a few extra bucks talking about spending money, right? Yeah. So, so I subscribed to the Criterion channel. And I think even before then, I was just writing movie reviews on Facebook. For some reason, I had all kinds of people asking me to write a review for Bird Box when that came oh, out. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I actually went through a period where, like, I had no friends. Mm. I was just going to work. And all of my friends had, you know, moved or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, or we just mm-hmm. weren't talking. For, you know, people get busy, right? Yeah, yeah. They get older, they go in separate directions. Mm-hmm. So I just had work and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll go to the movies. I have some, you know, money. And then I would write about it. A lot mm-hmm. of what I do is I watch movie review shows. Okay. So, that, so the next thing I know is a lot of people started like, hey, where's the next one? Mm-hmm. 
right about this movie did you <laughs> yeah. see this movie you know this weekend yeah and that was really cool because I haven't had a huge creative explosion to write mm. poetry in a yeah. while so this kind of became like a new artistic outlet a new yeah. writing outlet a new way to relate to people now especially I, there was kind of like a lull mm-hmm. and then ever since I watched The Holy Mountain which is this batshit crazy movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's one of the deepest movies I've ever yeah. seen. It's also pretty ridiculous. But it's this movie that was directed by this Chilean filmmaker, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, it's just, it was just so out there. And it just, all of a sudden, it filled me with this passion. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I love movies. and yeah. I have to rewatch those movies that that made me so excited about movies and I have to watch all the ones that I never did you know like mm-hmm. all these classics out there and it's actually been really exciting with that and now I'm teaming up with a number of friends and we're mm-hmm. going to start finally doing I mean I've talked about doing this for years but mm-hmm. here's something right like what we're doing with this interview we're utilizing yeah. zoom we're yeah. you know and I never had been motivated to do that before. Yeah. I, would, I thought, oh, no, we need a studio, right? Mm. We need to create a studio space, and we're going to pre-record it, and we're going to edit it, and whatnot. Yeah. But now you're seeing so much content that's generated live, mm-hmm. and people watching it, there's, there's a demand for it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's changed the whole parameters of what people are looking for, of what mm-hmm. people are willing to watch. Totally. Um, and what people will get excited by in terms of content. So I'm really excited. We're going to start next Saturday. Our first show is going to be on The Seventh Seal by Ingmar okay. Bergman. Okay. Um, which is actually my recommendation in the midst of a pandemic. Why not watch <laughs> the most famous movie about a pandemic? I mean, um, yeah. Aside from Outbreak, I guess. Sure. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people I know who've watched Outbreak that have said, like, maybe I shouldn't have watched Outbreak. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, cool. That's going to be awesome. Unfortunately, I'd love to just keep talking to you, but I have to wrap up. I really appreciate you talking to me and telling me about your art and the things that are coming for you. I think people are going to see some really great stuff from you. They always have, but they'll continue to do that. And I'm excited to see what you guys do with this film thing and hear more about your book as that comes out and and all of it. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with me. You're very, very welcome. I I really look forward to seeing who you get. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be really good. Well, thanks so much, David. And I'm sure I will talk to you again soon. All right. Yes, I hope so. Yeah. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Since talking to David, he's launched the Criterion Collective and his book, My Name is Romero, is available for pre-order. David made some really great points about the difficulties of promoting and publishing a book during a pandemic, and I think they still ring true. Promoting your art, whether it's a book or anything else, already takes time and effort, and it only becomes worse during a pandemic. David is not alone in wondering how his art is going to connect with people right now. I appreciated talking to David for a number of reasons. His candor about the publishing and performing world is important when we talk about art and how an event like the one we're in now impacts people, and as we start to think about how people will be impacted in the future. 
I also loved hearing from him about how many different people have influenced his poetry. You can find David at davidaromero.com and at David A. Romero on Twitter and David A. Romero Spoken Word on Instagram. I encourage you to check out the videos of his performances. He has several on his YouTube channel, David Romero, including Undocumented Football, which he released in February. And be sure to pre-order his book. Thanks again to David for joining me. Learning from artists who come from backgrounds different than mine is such a powerful and profound experience. I hope you felt that too. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StoryArtTells and share some of your favorite spoken word poetry this week. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. What makes us human is that we have the ability to tell stories. And we tell these stories to each other and they mean something. And if enough people believe them, then there's a movement of some sort. But...